Hello, everyone. I'm Priest Willis, and this is Missions and Marketplace Podcast, episode number 72. Today, I'm joined with Ian Bellina, who is a cryptocurrency investor, serial entrepreneur, author, filmmaker, all of those things. In fact, today, he quit his job at IBM after being there for several years to go out in search of his cryptocurrency empire building. Ian authored The Complete Freelancer Guide, a book that encourages others how to start a freelancing business. He founded Fusion Video Producers, a video production company that worked with Nancy Pelosi and NFL star Pierre Garçon. He is known for his ability to hack the systems, I put that in quotes, and create multiple streams of income through investing in cryptocurrencies. Many of you are aware of Bitcoin. That's where this cryptocurrencies we get into, turning hobbies into freelance businesses, short-term real estate rentals, and creating private label brands that sell items on Amazon. Ian is also the founder of Pure Hustle, a mobile on-demand freelance job marketplace. Ian holds a master's in computer engineering from the George Washington University and spoke alongside Michelle Obama during his graduation. Look, this guy has shown that you can have a full-time job and have many other accomplishments out there. So not only will we be talking about freelancing, but we'll also be diving into Bitcoin. And I made sure that I asked questions that would be relevant to us all so we can learn and start investing as soon as possible. So without further ado, here is my man, Ian Bellina. Hey, Ian, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. I'm an entrepreneur, angel investor, and a uh, cryptocurrencies, so things like Bitcoin. I'm also a technologist. I've worked at IBM for four years as an analytics evangelist, have a background as a developer. So in general, I just love technology. I love evangelizing and I love being an entrepreneur and making money. When I first heard about you, we share a lot in common. IBM is closely connected to Lenovo, which I work at full time, and they bought the ThinkPad from them, servers and other things. So they're always kind of been attached together in name. So are you still at IBM? Is that still a position for you? Well, actually, today is my last day at IBM. What? <laughs> yes, today. Congrats, <laughs> Last day man. of the month. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this is big because when I first heard about you, Ian, you were talking to other people. You were on other interviews where you were kind of saying that this day would come. And I happen to be the guy that's interviewing you. Yeah. So you got me at the right time. Here I kind of heard you interview with other people and say, hey, look, Bitcoin is going to be a full-time thing for me. I work full-time on the sales side of the business, kind of building a business within a business, IBM that is. So this is really cool. This makes for the conversation to be even a little bit more fun here. So why don't you tell the audience while you were working at IBM, how you got into doing freelance work, side hustles, and then we'll get into this idea around Bitcoin and you'll kind of help guide us through that. Right. So I joined IBM after working at Deloitte Consulting. And I joined IBM specifically because I had a friend who worked there and he told me it had a much better work-life balance. Right. So I basically made the, the change from consulting work to working in sales as a sales engineer. And in, in, as a sales engineer in IBM, you basically have the option of working from home. So you don't have to have that daily commute, right? Getting in the car, all that stuff. And you pretty much, as long as you're getting your work done, you can pretty much schedule your day the way you want to, right? So mm -hmm. it was very, very convenient for me, and especially working from home, because either I'm working at home or I'm traveling to customer sites, 
Right. So with that being said, it gave me the option to pursue other ventures, especially on the weekends and days where I'm not that busy. So I began doing lots of online businesses. I began doing content marketing. I also launched and began my own freelancing business because I began working as a freelancer because once I wasn't traveling as much as I was as a consultant, because I'm basically at home. So pretty much after work, I would just go work as a video producer. I would film videos. And it began as a hobby. Then eventually I turned that hobby into a business. Then at some points in time, I was actually making more money from that hobby than my actual day job. So that hobby was Pure Hustle? Uh, no, actually, so this was Fusion Video Productions. This was prior to Pure Hustle. So during my entire... I guess you could you could call it career as a freelance videographer. I noticed different problems, so eventually I, I set out to try to solve those problems on, on my own. Because I noticed that as a local freelancer, there aren't really any websites or platforms that cater to you. Right? Most of the online platforms like Upwork and Elance at the, that point in time were more for online freelancers, right? The developers, the writers, bloggers, marketers, fewer for local photographer, local videographer, there wasn't really a platform, right? Most of them were using sites like Craigslist, which aren't so safe. So I set out there to pretty much build a platform and me having a developer background and being an entrepreneur, I seized the moment and launched my own app called Pure Hustle, which is essentially a on-demand local freelancer marketplace that connects both sides, the customer, somebody looking to hire somebody for a particular skill set, and their freelancers, basically somebody who has that skill set and is looking to monetize that skill set. So I launched that, and I've been doing that the last two years or so. I really like that because people tend to get caught up when they have a full-time job, especially with all due respect, depending on what field people are in. I get paid well at Lenovo. You probably did quite well at IBM. It can almost lull you to sleep in a sense, whereas you know, exactly. you feel outside of that, you don't feel as motivated to start creating businesses or do something. But you and I seem cut from the same cloth from the standpoint of we're not necessarily working at companies for the gold watch, meaning we don't just want the cake, go watch, and then everybody forget your name after two weeks and they're hunting down for your stapler <laughs> your, your tape machine off of your desk when you leave. Right. Have you always had that entrepreneurial spirit, that drive, even when you were in college, I see here that you yes, yeah. and ultimately your master's. Was that always kind of your drive? Yeah, I would say from a very early age. In college, I also had a startup in college. I was very entrepreneurial. My first business was working as a web designer. And that was pretty much in, in high school. And I, I think for me, it comes from seeing my family, my dad. He's basically done the whole corporate world, right? And I've noticed that doesn't matter how qualified you are or how long you work, at the end of the day, you're still a cog in the machine. So it basically taught me at a young age, never depend on one source of income. So I've, I've always had the mindset of having multiple sources of income besides your day job. In fact, I quote this often, but there's this statistic out there that says the average millionaire has seven streams of income. Sure, you may know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, same same exact thing. Yeah, that's the same exact mindset I have. And you may know Warren Buffett or Bill Gates on either Microsoft or Hathaway, Berkshire Firms or whatever the case is, but they have other investments. They are investing in things in some respects that you can't even see. So, And this is where I love how you're going. So you have IBM, of course. You're kind of creating this video thing on the outside. And follow the breadcrumbs here, if you will, those who are listening. He's working full time. 
he's probably pulling from some of that full-time money a little bit to pour into starting up this video business. He sees a need on the video side. So he decides, you know what, I'm going to create another platform that I can get help immediately that can be vetted a little better than say Craigslist. Then you have Pure Hustle and now you have streams of income and now you're looking for ways to, well, one, you're teaching about it. So you have a podcast, videos are, are out there on you, which is really great. In fact, you have a book called The Complete Freelancer Guide for, for Money ebook, correct? Well, I have the ebook, but there's yeah, yeah, so a book it, out there. Yeah, so it, it's a book, print book, and also audio book as well. So now there's a book out there. It's a really good book, by the way, guys. I have it. Cool book. One that I would highly recommend if you want to get into freelancing or do something along those lines. But now you have some extra money. So you're trying to figure out how do I find ways to have my money make money? So what are some of the first initial investments? This is before Bitcoin, but what are some of the first initial investments you started to play around with? So I began playing around with stocks, with trading, day trading, swing trading, even penny stocks. I did that for about a year or so. But then I I didn't, didn't really like it, especially with day trading. I'm very young, so I like to take lots of risks. So I, I took too many risks, right? <laughs> to a point, I, let's just say I got burned on some trades. And that's when I kind of took a break from that and went, went back to being an entrepreneur and said, you know what? I would rather lose money starting my own business than investing in some random person's business. I don't know. So when you say you went back to being an entrepreneur, what were some of the things you went back to dabbling into? So Pure Hustle was one. Then also just doing Amazon business. I began an Amazon FBA business where, where I'd import items from China, private label them and sell them on Amazon. So I was doing that for a bit. And that was actually pretty smooth because it was just an autopilot to point out order items probably every four or five months. So talk about that a little bit. The FBA is the fulfillment by Amazon, essentially. So yes. you're not keeping any of the inventory, the dropship. Yeah, so it's basically a dropship model, right? So the first initial shipments, I would have them send them from China to my house so I can inspect them for quality. But once I find something I like, I then just place a large order to the supplier in China, and they ship it straight to Amazon's warehouses. I would sell batteries, right? So Amazon would send, for example, uh, 2,000 batteries, right? And they put them in all the different warehouses across the country. So it's easier to ship wherever the customer is to have that same day or even two-day prime shipping. So just having that on autopilot to a point, all I have to do is just go back on the inventory and see, am I low on inventory, order more supplies? And that's pretty much it. Because if I order in bulk, I don't have to really send in any more inventory for the next six months or so. So it's just automatic money. Almost. This is probably a side note, but now when you're drop shipping, you're not interested in inventory levels, are you? Because you're kind of drop shipping. So if it's out. I, I know. So it's not quite drop shipping. I send everything to Amazon. So I have to first purchase the items. Yeah, because Amazon FBA is not quite drop shipping, at least the way I'm doing it. That's right. So the distinction here is that Amazon becomes your fulfillment center. There are large places. I worked for a company called Buy Seasons, Buy Costumes. They had a 360,000 square foot building that held costumes. You know, at one point they were as big as Amazon during the Halloween season. So you need a lot of inventory space. And Amazon has designed this intricate shipping channel. And so what they've said was, let's kind of lend this out to other entrepreneurs so that they can house inventory and we can leverage that inventory space, which I think is brilliant, by the way. 
So that's one way of doing it. So Ian's talking about he'll do it on the fulfillment side, but now on the dropship side, that's where you may be working directly with the merchant, let's say, in the case that I just gave you with buycostumes.com, I may be going to them directly and having them ship out a product on my behalf and not touching the inventory, not fully having to know about the inventory, frankly. I mean, I want to know when it's discontinued, but you're not really handling literally anything, not from a buying process, at least, other than housing the inventory on your site. So drop shipping, fulfillment, those are the two different things. So I think that's really smart for someone that is trying to, they have a full-time job, they want to get into something as a side hustle. You should definitely look into Amazon's FBA program or doing something on the dropship side of the business. You're investing in stocks, Ian, and you are doing some other things. What kind of stocks were you getting into? I know you talked about penny stocks, but were you getting into bigger Fortune 500? You know, what kind of companies? Um, not really, because in my opinion, they didn't really have much growth. So yeah, true. There, I was investing more in the smaller companies. The largest companies I would invest in were probably in the $10 range, $10, $20 range. But definitely not your IBMs or your GEs or even Tesla at that point, right? Or Amazon, because they were pretty much too expensive and the growth wasn't quite there, right? Because I was looking to make, to basically re- retire in, in five years, right? So, so based on that on that deadline, I had to be more aggressive, right? So it came to a point where even, where I lost most of my money was actually investing in cannabis stocks, penny stocks, because this was during the whole time they're becoming legal. So I, I was trying to ride that trend, so not everything panned out, right? Especially even now, right? I don't, I don't think there are any big companies quite yet. But yeah. Well, we'll have to talk about that offline. I won't get into it now, but uh, I'll, I'll share some stuff with you, by the way. we like to thank today's sponsor, TubeBuddy. TubeBuddy is the premier YouTube channel management and video optimization toolkit. YouTube creators will find their new best friend in TubeBuddy. Their browser extension adds a layer of amazing functionality Right on the top of YouTube's website, you can perform bulk updates to your videos, such as adding annotations or cards to all your videos with just a few clicks. You can perform, find, replace on your videos, just as you were using a word processor. You can generate professional custom thumbnails using screen prints and branding text layers. You can engage with your audience quicker and more efficiently. You can export your list of subscribers and their social profiles. You can get detailed analysis of competitor channels. You can promote your new upload across other videos. The list just goes on and on. Today's sponsor is TubeBuddy. Go into the podcast notes page and click on TubeBuddy and get it today. So you started investing in cannabis. You started investing into other stocks. I totally get what you're saying. I mean, for those who want to get into investing, if you're looking at Home Depot, for example, and they just toggle between $47 and $49 for 52 weeks. You're not yeah. going to make any money in that. Even if you look at a five-year perspective, you're not going to make any money with somebody going between $5 up and down. So you're absolutely right. Buying low $10 stock or something even lower in some cases, 8 bucks for the potential for it to be higher, doubling and so forth and so on. So here we are now with Bitcoin. And this is where I watch your videos and I know what Bitcoin is. I know what blockchain is. I know all of this stuff. But, you know, help me for the sake of the audience here. Let's take this step by step. So you get into Bitcoin. 
you know, a college friend tells you you should get into it. You had no idea what it was. You start looking into it about a year and a half ago. Is that right? Two years ago? One year ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. Impressive. Mm-hmm. So first of all, Ian, what is Bitcoin? I would say Bitcoin is pretty much a digital currency that allows two people to transact without having a broker or middleman. So no bank, no government, just two people, two total strangers, and they don't have to trust each other. So Bitcoin came out in 2009. Uh, As far as I know, no one really knows where it came from, which kind of makes it this. They know where it came from, just they don't know who the founder is. There's somebody that didn't really disclose his actual identity, Satoshi Nakamoto. But it came from an online forum of uh, cypherpunks, people that care about it government control and all that stuff. Anarchists, basically, in a way. So I'm at Lenovo 2013. It's established 2009. I'm going to them. We're trying to figure out ways how to penetrate other geos. And one of the things when you look at different global countries like Mexico is payment. There's payment Mm -hmm. issues. And there were some people that were like, hey, we should do Bitcoin. I was one of them like, we should test out Bitcoin. I can see why some companies are hesitant to play with Bitcoin. But can you tell me bigger companies that you know of that are accepting of this kind of digital currency? For example, Fidelity, their CEO is basically now an evangelist for Bitcoin. They actually just announced recently that Fidelity is mining Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. So for to have a big Fortune 500 company of that stature mining cryptocurrencies is pretty huge. And now if you actually log in into your account on Fidelity, there's a section where you can actually look into your portfolio for Bitcoin, I believe, and cryptocurrencies. I'm going to do that because I'm with Fidelity. So I promise you that later on tonight or tomorrow, I will be digging into that because I didn't realize that. What does it mean to mine when you say that they're mining for Bitcoin opportunities? What does that mean? Uh, uh, good question. The way Bitcoin works is... If two people transact, so for example, if I send you money or if you send me money, it's not considered legitimate until we broadcast this to the entire network of other mm. people who also have the Bitcoin software, whether it's an app or wallet or what have you, right? So miners are the people that confirm these transactions as, okay, this is legit. So they take the transactions and they essentially, to give Bitcoin value, computers calculate different algorithms or solve different mathematical problems. And the first one to solve it gets paid in Bitcoin for solving that, right? So by giving the network their computing power, they allow the network to be more efficient to handle all these large transactions. Now, is the network what's considered the blockchain? Yes, the blockchain is the network. Okay, so can you describe or at least explain what blockchain means? So blockchain in a simple manner is basically multiple databases that are networked together and there isn't really a central database. So it's a decentralized network of databases, basically. That are recording these different Bitcoin different transactions. transactions. Right, exactly. And all these yeah. are basically nodes, right? Think of them as nodes as a term. And these nodes or these decentralized databases are basically different miners that are confirming multiple transactions. And to incentivize them, This is basically the game theory built into Bitcoin to make it work for both sides. The miners are incentivized to basically have the fastest node or the fastest database or computer to mine this Bitcoin to solve these problems so that things aren't slow on the blockchain. When you transact, it it goes faster. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So what about cryptocurrency? Tell us what that is. So cryptocurrencies are basically 
digital currencies that use cryptographic techniques to make them secure. What falls under cryptocurrencies are things like Bitcoin and everything else, such as Ethereum and other altcoins, which means alternative coins. But cryptocurrencies are basically using cryptographic techniques on online digital currencies to basically make them secure. Because online, if I send you money, what's to prevent me from turning around and sending somebody else online that same money? So this is called the double spending problem. So with cryptocurrencies, they solve this by using cryptographic techniques so that if I send you money, that money is actually there, but it's also secure to a point where you don't have to know who I am. Mm -hmm. Privacy is built into it. So we talked about Fidelity being one of the biggest companies, you know, money companies for that matter, that has adopted the understanding behind Bitcoin. We just walked through what is Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, what is blockchain, so now let's fall back to you, Ian. So here you are, you dig into Bitcoin and you start to like their returns a little bit better than what you were seeing on some of the other investments you did. So are you diversifying between this and the older investments or have you thrown all in with Bitcoin right now and just waiting to see how that goes? For the most part, I've gone almost all in. I still have my Amazon FBA business that's still on autopilot, but I haven't yet had to order any more inventory. Right now, it's been mainly cryptocurrencies and investing in them because just the growth is just phenomenal. So for example, I had a, an ICO, which I'll get into later, but basically I purchased a cryptocurrency early before it was even tradable on an online exchange uh, called Chainlink. I put in 10 grand and in, in two months, it turned to 30 grand. So basically it was over a 2x return on, on my money. That's really unheard of in any other kind of investment. And that was just me buying it and just holding, just waiting for two months. I didn't really have to do much besides doing that initial research to find this cryptocurrency. That's an insane return. That's almost like the mob. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's uh, it's insane. But people are making much more from this in a month or two months than their day jobs to a point once you kind of figure this out, right? It's unbelievable. It's, it's the biggest gold rush since the dot-com boom. Okay. So you mentioned ICO. What does that mean? So an ICO stands for initial coin offering. Other names for it are called token generation event or token sales. But think of it as an IPO on Wall Street, an initial public offering. Got it. An IPO is when a stock becomes tradable for the first time on an exchange like the NASDAQ, the New York Stock Exchange. Well, an ICO is almost the same thing. It's when a cryptocurrency becomes publicly available for the first time for purchase to the public. So if we're looking at this, we're looking at Bitcoin as almost like NASDAQ or whatever the case is. So it's it's the kind of the the system, if you will. And then within it, you mentioned coins like Ethereum. Those at one time were part of ICOs. Uh, not quite. I would say Bitcoin is more like the, the Google, the Amazon, the Apple, right? It's, oh, okay. it's the blue chip stock. It's great. And, and there's still growth in it. But the growth is not quite there as the stock that just, for example, Snapchat just listed and maybe does 40% the first day. Or maybe some new startup just gets onto the exchanges and blows up, right? So imagine Facebook. Facebook just joined the stock market for the first time, right? That level of interest, that level of, of hype, or even FOMO, as they call it, right? Fear of missing out. The growth can go parabolic if you find a good project that becomes available for purchase for the first time because you're basically getting in at the ground, ground floor. You're mm -hmm. getting in early from day one with the expectations that this project or this cryptocurrency is going to have 
lots and lots of growth and a month, two months, maybe even long term. So people have been hearing about Bitcoin blowing up and just this whole cryptocurrency system has been blowing up. I'm just starting out. I want to get into something. I love the returns you just told me about. I know we can't expect that all the time. Maybe not expect it again. Who knows? Not trying to be anybody's cryptocurrency uh, accountant out there. But what would you do, Ian, if you're a new person just getting into it? You love what you're hearing right now. And I want to get started in this. Where should I start? And I have a thousand bucks. I have 2000. Now, the thing I love about you is you have videos where you're very transparent. You have spreadsheets and all that. And I'll give you a minute to talk about those things in a minute. But where would you begin at? So outside of my content, I would say first thing I do every time I try to get into a new field, I go on Amazon and find the top two books in that uh, industry. So the top two, that, that's what I did with cryptocurrencies. I got the top two books and the ones I recommend are Digital Gold. Mm-hmm. And the other one is called Age of Cryptocurrency. They're both by, I believe, New York Times writers. Great books. I got the audio book because I'm pretty busy. I have no time to actually go through a book. But read those books in about a, two weeks or so. And it basically gave me a history from A, from beginning to end of the entire space. And it made me knowledgeable to a point where I was pretty familiar with almost everything for somebody who just got into it. Then I went on Coinbase, purchased some tokens. I mean, uh, I purchased Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum. And I didn't dive all the way in. I just bought a small amount. I bought 100 bucks of Bitcoin and 100 bucks worth of Ethereum. It was just a dry run, a test, so to speak, just trying to get my feet wet. And I just waited a month to see what happened and just kind of learn this entire space. And the first month I made 25% on Bitcoin. I'm like, okay, that's not bad. That's the, <laughs> right? I'm like, 25% in a month? I mean, yeah. I'll take that in one year. Right? <laughs> so then I began putting more money into it. Right, I put 250 into Bitcoin and, and uh, Ethereum. Then Ethereum doubled in like two months. I was like, oh, I was like okay, what the heck is Ethereum? Because right? I put money into it, but I didn't really know what the heck it was. Right? So I began doing more research into it. Okay, this is a pretty good project. What the heck is Ethereum? So Ethereum is right now Bitcoin's top rival. Ethereum is a decentralized virtual computer, pretty much. Right? Think of it as a computing platform. Bitcoin is a decentralized payments system for paying and transacting. But Ethereum has... Decentralized meaning virtual? just Decentralized meaning that there is no central authority that controls any, anything, right? It's basically multiple people networked, kind of like peer-to-peer, kind of like Napster. Mm-hmm. And how, how Napster and uh, auto file downloading, BitTorrent, peer-to-peer meaning that it's people transacting with each other. But in with Ethereum, it's a decentralized, so basically there is no broker or middleman for applications. So applications can run on this network that's decentralized, meaning that they can't be shut down. So for example, if China or, or the government of America or whatever says, hey, we don't like Facebook, we can shut it down. Let's say that Facebook is now running as a decentralized app mm-hmm. called a DAP mm-hmm. on the Ethereum virtual computer. They can shut it down because it's peer-to-peer. So this is why it's it's really competing and blowing up. And actually, it's had more growth than Bitcoin right now. Because when I got in, Ethereum was at 10 bucks last year. Right now, it's at 300 bucks. Oh, geez. I'm not getting an Ethereum. I got to look for Eporium when that comes out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So the move is to find the next Ethereum pretty much. So that's basically the hustle I'm on. 
listen, I know once you get into the space, you start reading books, you guys should definitely check out his site. Again, I'm going to give you a moment to kind of talk about all that so people can tap into it. But how do you get alerts? Like there's a new coin out and you're like, just listen to me, right? Get on live streams and I'm going to, I'm going to help you. Yeah. So that's why I have a big audience, right? Because I kind of do the homework for them in a way. Let's talk about that homework. You have a spreadsheet, you have live streams. In this case, I want you to promote yourself because I've been on one of your live streams and you're absolutely right. You have your little headset on and you are literally giving people spoons for their pudding. So why don't you share those details around what you do in that live stream, spreadsheet details, all that good stuff. So every week I have a weekly live stream where I go through and just live stream ICO research process. So I go through and people bring me their ICOs or different cryptocurrencies that are about to become publicly available for the first time for purchase. And I go through and basically review them. I give them my honest review on them. It's not a paid review. I'm not promoting them. I just give, okay, is this a good ICO to invest in? Then at the end of the review, I give my take on it, whether I plan to invest or not. And people just uh, kind of uh, flock to that because I go pretty deep. For example, I'll spend almost half an hour to even an hour on one cryptocurrency, <laughs> just going through their team, pulling up every team member's work history on LinkedIn. And the other guys are like, dude, get to me, hurry up. <laughs> so if I'm understanding this correctly, Ian, people can kind of make up their own cryptocurrency. Yeah. So that's the beauty and the power of it. So it's open source technology. You can go there and launch your own cryptocurrency, your own token. And just make that available to the world. You can either fork from other code or just create your own code from scratch, which is a lot harder. So the reason why you're looking at LinkedIn and all these other places is because it tells you this coin could be strong based on the intelligence or all that kind of stuff of the group that's creating the coin. Is that fair? The way I do it is I go through the data. Basically, if you've heard of Moneyball, the book or the movie, yes. that basically coined the field uh, of sabermetrics. I'm kind of using sabermetrics or analytics and data towards token sales and ICOs. So I take the best performing ICOs of all time and I compare all the data points to see what they had in common. And I compare their teams, their advisors, all these different data points. And then I kind of come up with a, a safe zone of different data points or basically how far they should deviate from the mean to be a possible candidate for a, a good ICO. And the benefit of this to you is that you have a front seat to ICO where you can kind of see that coin will be good and now I'm going to get in on it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So people bring ICOs, I go through, apply my grading system to that, right? I could get the best performing ICOs of all time and the metrics that made them good. And I compare upcoming ICOs to those metrics to see, okay, is this a good candidate for being good? And as one of the first people to really start doing this, at least publicly, and that's where my audience has come from and grown so fast. Yeah, it has grown fast. You have a really large audience, actually. And I mean, literally, I remember one time being on a live stream, there were thousands of people and they're all talking and you're like, guys, I can't even I can't even see what you're saying because it's just it's blowing by. It's pretty amazing. I really enjoyed it. I watched the whole thing and I didn't, to be frank, I didn't know anything about Bitcoins, but I did learn enough to kind of get what you were doing. But having conversations like this, I believe, gets people a little bit more excited, a little bit understanding, less hesitant. So I have to ask, here you left IBM. Today is your official day. Congrats again. And 
you are now kind of branching off on your own. So you have the FBA piece. You've already made it very clear that you, for the most part, put all in with Bitcoin. So that means you're kind of deep in this thing. You've seen the results and we've all heard about them on the news or somewhere else. I can't help but to believe and tell me why I'm wrong that once Visa, MasterCard, other people start getting involved, this whole system will go away. And do you really think it has any longevity to it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If Visa or any of the big players get into it, either the the profit margins will be too small for them or the fact that they'll be centralized will be their downfall. When you say centralized, you mean the fact that where it's peer to peer. They control it, right? So people want something decentralized, something that they can control. That's what I was going to say, where it's peer to peer right now. MasterCard Visa is going to try to control that, which gives it a centralized place. And that will wound everything that it means right now. How fast can you make this liquid, Ian? You mentioned putting down 2000 seeing 30000 How fast can I go in and make that 30000 liquid? So it depends on the cryptocurrency you're investing in or trading in. So, for example, the ICOs, those usually, it can be anywhere between a day to months even, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe like the longest I've had to wait. Some ICOs, you have to wait six to 12 months. Typically, they tell you prior to actually investing in the ICO. Uh, so I l- try to find something that's within three months liquid. Now, the ones that are already on exchanges are already liquid. So the issue then is just how much trading volume is there, right? depending on how much capital you're putting in. So for the most part, most of them are pretty liquid, especially post-ICO. I find this so amazing that 2009, we're kind of talking almost monopoly money to today where people are making real money. This has created real millionaires. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I went to a conference in uh, New York early in the year called Token Summit. That's where the inspiration came from me, right? I met lots of people who made millions on Ethereum ICO, on Made Safe ICO, just talking with them over food and drinks and hearing their stories. It just inspired me to come back and just go out, go at this harder. Wow. Well, listen, Ian, you've inspired me because, again, there's so much parallel that I see between you and I in terms of attacking the corporate world and still giving it everything you have, but also understanding that in my case, I have a family. So I'm working for more than just the dollar. I'm really trying to create a legacy, if you will. And then ultimately, what do you do with that money? Because just buying things isn't enough, nor do I think that should be your focus. And so here you are now finding those outlets, which is Bitcoin. You are absolutely inspiring to me. So what else are you working on right now? And just leave people with how they can contact you or how they can watch your live streams. Share anything you like at this point. Yeah. So right now I'm going full time into this. Uh, I have an investing group where we invest into token sales early, going around the world, advising other ICOs and companies on how to do token sales, how to build communities in this blockchain space, and just doing more content for my audience, right? My private membership group, my Patreon members, and even the general audience on YouTube, Twitter, and just on social media. So the best place is to contact me. I'm available on my website, ianblina.com. That's I-A-N-B-A-L-I-N-A.com. I have weekly live streams on youtube.com slash hacking the system. And I'm also on Twitter a lot. I, I do tweet every day or so. And that's at Diary of a Made Man. Diary of a Made Man. I like that. Ian, it's been a pleasure. I thank you so much, sir. And I hope you have a good one. All right, well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 
The next episode of Missions and Marketplace podcast drops on Sunday, drops every Sunday. If you like what we're doing, leave us a rating, a review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to help others find out about the show. I got love for you, and I know you have it for me. Help me raise the bar even higher. For more information about the show, follow me on Twitter at the handle P. Willis Sr. Until next Sunday, keep dreaming, keep pushing, and I'll do the same, and I'll talk to you soon. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious.